Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Well, I hear the birds in the background, so that must signal we are underway with the Selvius Godcast on the Athletic Cleveland. With TJ Zuppi and Zach Meisel, where neither one of us, buddy, can find a single quiet place to record this damn thing. What's wrong with the chirping birds? I don't know. I just figured, you know, it's just you and me on the podcast. We don't need to bring wildlife onto it as well. Well, it's like we always say, we never know what special guests we're going to have. <laughs> Yeah, whether we're outside or outside the Infinity Lounge, somebody's going to stop by, and you never know what's going to happen. How was Detroit, my friend? Oh, boy. I mean, it was fine. It's growing tired of it. You know, I always – I don't know how guys who have done this job for 30 years – I don't know how Paul Hoynes has gone to the same cities over and over and the same routine over and over. And granted, he stays in, like – flint so he drives forever every day to get to the ballpark but i don't know sometimes i wish the indians would play in like maui and then play in italy and then play in australia it would be more fun i mean you got that a little bit with the trip to puerto rico that's true a couple uh what was it going on a month and a half ago now i mean so you got that so what else do you want you got puerto rico you have to live with the detroits of the world i'm sorry you can't yeah, just erase that I- completely I don't want to come off as so complain, complainy and just, ah, uh, this is the worst job in the world. Of course, it's not like that. But um, just it was a very gray weekend in Detroit. And as you know, the people in the Detroit press box refused to open the windows, <laughs> even on Friday night when it was 80 degrees and sunny outside. And so the press box gets really stuffy. So, yes. um, you know, just little things like that about Detroit that bug me. But it rarely, um, whenever we make that trip, I swear there's a rain delay or a complete yeah. washout. It, it, I can't remember the last time we went and made a, a trip to Detroit where it, it didn't rain at least one of those days. I know it's not that much different than Cleveland, and people on other podcasts are saying the exact same thing when they come to Progressive Field. I know, I know, I get it. But it seems like every time we're there, it, it is so gloomy. <laughs> I can't escape it. I don't know what it is. Maybe we bring the bad weather. It's nice there whenever we're not there, but as soon as we show up, that's when it turns to crap. Isn't it a guarantee, too, that if, if there's a rain delay, there will be extra innings on top of it? It's uncanny how that works. <laughs> the only thing missing was Ryan Merritt uh, showing up in the clubhouse and then leaving without having done anything. Uh, <laughs> it's, that was like the story of Merritt like three times last year or something like that. Um, I'm sure he would give anything to be able to at least get the call up and not pitch. Uh, but that's a different story for a different day. It, it has been a different story for the bullpen a little bit. Enough so that it's been so bad that you're you're looking for the smallest little glimpses of hope and, and some silver lining. I get a sense that Tito has very much been that way with his bullpen. Yeah, any, any, any small scent he gets of somebody that can record a late inning out, he's really excited by. 
um, and the latest candidate to come swinging through the revolving door and get some late inning uh, relief appearances. And now I actually show up and, and get, this has been Neil Ramirez. And I, if you would have told me at the beginning of the year that, that you and MLB.com and Cleveland.com would be writing these, I won't say glowing features, but at least features about Neil Ramirez stepping up to save the bullpen in any capacity, I would have called you crazy, but here we are. Yeah, so remember a few years, five years ago now, Mark Reynolds hit like 20 home runs for the Indians, and he got really hot, and then he told us, look, you guys are going to write that I, I fucking suck, and you're going to run me out of town. Like, I'm going to go over 30. I mean, he, he called it. That, that's exactly what happened. Um, those, are, those are his exact words, by yeah. the way. That's exactly there was what he said. Bomb in there. <laughs> um, so, you know, Neil Ramirez obviously didn't stoop to that level, but he said, like, you know, I, I can't get comfortable here. I have to understand that it's only been, I think it's been six consecutive scoreless outings for him, but he's been through the ringer. I mean, it's, it's I'm going to try to rattle off all the teams he's been claimed by or signed by the last two years because he was drafted by the Rangers, traded to the Cubs, was brilliant as a rookie with the Cubs in 2014. And then starting in 2016, it was just this, he was caught in this revolving door. He went to, where was he? He was with the Brewers, the Mets, the Blue Jays, the Giants, the Twins, and someone else. Who am I forgetting? In all, the Indians are his seventh team in the last two calendar years. And so there's a couple things here. Number one, when you get claimed by that many teams, it means you have something. There's something teams covet. There, there's something there. And clearly teams are looking back at Ramirez's rookie year and saying, okay, well, he can do this. He had a 144 ERA and 50 outings for the Cubs. That's not something to just completely dismiss. Then you look at it and you say, okay, and he also has a 97-mile-an-hour fastball, which is he, he's averaging 97 miles an hour this year after it had dipped to, I think, 93 one year, 94 one year, 95 last year. So um, good signs there, but obviously you still have to put it together. And he had a rough few outings before this current stretch, so it's not like he has established himself as this guy who – like. TJ, we've been looking at who's going to be the 2019 closer. And like, <laughs> we look around the clubhouse every day and it's like, Hey, there's Nick Goody, 2019 closer. or Hey, there's Tyler Olson. 20... And like, maybe Neil Ramirez is that, but I don't think we can anoint him. And, and he wanted to make sure that no one was, you know, just assuming that this guy was here to stay forever and everything is fine. And yeah, and, no, I mean, know, I, there I are get, still things to work. I, I get a sense of that. A guy that I'm sure is probably unfra- uh, afraid to unpack his suitcase at this point. Yeah. Uh, just because he's thrown so many stickers on the front of it. Um, you, you know, you're right that there there are some little things below the surface that that get you, I, I think, excited is, at least, is probably even going way too far. Because really, all you need him to be is better than what you have already. Uh, he shouldn't, if he's taking, legitimately, if he is taking eighth and ninth inning outs, for this ball club, even if he's performing well, I don't think that's set up to be good. I don't think that's where you necessarily really want to be at the end of the year. So you need to be in a position where you get Miller back, you get Cody Allen pitching like he can, and you probably go out and make a, a trade for another top-notch arm to bump him back into that level where Goody and Otero and McAllister and Olsen were last year. You know, Because if he's doing this in that role, then all of a sudden your bullpen looks a lot better. If you're asking him to step up and now take on the, the outs of Andrew Miller – 
that's you're probably setting yourself up for failure. But beneath all of that, I mean, you you laid out the fastball that's up there at 96, 97 miles per hour, and guys will their careers will will last as long as that baby sticks around because you know from even Zach McAllister struggled to to put together any sort of a consistent secondary pitch. He continues to get opportunities because he can pitch a lot and because he can run it up there at 97 miles per hour. So, I mean, that's understandable. There are some other things though, that are are at least a little bit interesting. makes me wonder if this is, and I know you guys talked to him in Detroit, if this is legitimately the first time he feels as healthy as he did in 2014, because you're seeing the velocity up, but you're also seeing the Mm -hmm. spin rate up, which is usually an indication if that drops at all, maybe there's an injury somewhere, um, in the mix. And then you're also seeing the slider perform better than it ever has. You have more horizontal movement on that thing. So it's basically working its way across the plate better than it ever has before. And when you combine those two things, that's at least something that makes you intrigued to get a second, third, fourth, and fifth look at this guy. Not to say that he is what he has been in his last six outings, because I think that's probably unfair to him, just as unfair as it was when they called him up from triple A Zach and threw him, Hey, here's the eighth thing against the Astros, buddy. Go get them. I mean, I think that was Good a little. Yeah, I think that was a little bit unfair on their part. But I think there's enough little secondary things going on beneath the surface, sooner on the periphery, that I, I understand why they're above all of the other candidates that they've kind of run up through the the gauntlet here so far. I understand why he's sort of emerged in, in Tito's mind as a guy that deserves a few more of those opportunities to see what he can do. Isn't he? If he's if he's got both pitches working, isn't that what you have wanted McAllister to be for the last five years? Like, like he is McAllister. If McAllister actually had a secondary pitch, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you have a guy that has this, the spin rate that he does, I know I wrote about this at the, the tail end of last week. Um, it was tops on the team as far as spin rate on the fastball goes. Uh, and that's important to, for those that aren't, sort of familiar with the Trevor Bauer aspect of spin rates and what happens with them. Uh, When you have a high spin rate, it can be linked to strikeouts if you're pitching up in the zone or weak pop-ups. And the reason being is as it comes towards the hitter, it looks like it almost rises in the zone. If you have a really high spin rate, and it's not actually rising, but what happens is it doesn't fall at the same rate as another fastball would. So when it comes into the zone, the hitter thinks it's going to be one way. He swings where he thinks it's going to be. But as it turns out, the ball is actually a tad bit higher in the zone than where he anticipated. And that's what leads to a lot of strikeouts and a lot of weak pop-ups. It's basically what Cody Allen has built his entire career in the in the, uh, the Indians' bullpen doing, uh, mixing that with his 12-6 curveball. Now, Ramirez doesn't have that curveball off of that, but with the sliders working the way that it has with that sort of horizontal movement, that's why he's gone through this little bit of a stretch with some plus results. I don't know if it's going to continue. I don't know if he's going to you know, maintain everything that he's done up to this point. But when you look at least below the surface, you can understand why he has had some success. And if you look at the composition of the Indians bullpen too, and you touched on this, but it's, I mean, it, it, it's been crazy how Terry Francona has tried to patch this together because and, and we don't need to rehash everything we've already said and written about how the front office didn't do enough to add a reliever or two over the off season, how they, you know, their, their assumptions that certain guys who didn't even make the postseason roster last year, um, those assumptions have, have not panned out how they would have expected. Obviously, do they need to make a move? Even if Neil Ramirez strikes out every batter between now and July 31st, they, they absolutely need to trade for a reliever or two or three. Um, 
but you can kind of see how just finding one guy who, who Terry Francona can latch onto changes everything. I mean, Neil Ramirez went two innings the other day in Detroit, and, and you start to see, like, the one thing you don't want is you don't want the starters to be forced to throw 115 pitches every time out. And it seemed like it was either that or Cody Allen getting a five-out save or both. Like, get me Clevenger through seven and a third at 117 pitches so I can go to Cody Allen for the last five outs, and then we'll figure out tomorrow, tomorrow. Um, you don't want to do that anymore. And, you know, the, it's taken so long to find someone. I, I thought they were just going to have to suck it up and, like, try guys in certain scenarios where you aren't comfortable. And it seemed like Terry Francona didn't want to do that. But, like you said, with Neil Ramirez, he was in AAA one day and he was pitching in the eighth inning of against the reigning champions the next. Evan Marshall did the same thing. I mean, they, they, they had to do that because of how the winter went and how the early part of the season went. Um, and so now you find one guy who has proven that, hey, maybe he can be a guy who can bridge the gap. And it makes everything so much easier because then you can let Dan Otero figure things out when the game's not on the line. Um, let let Josh Tomlin pitch in a lopsided game and let let Zach McAllister work out the kinks in the 13th inning instead of, you know, the ninth inning in a one run game or a tie game, something like that. So it just, it makes everything else a little bit easier. And if they can, you know, Oliver Perez has given them some good innings too. And it, it was funny because he joined the Indians. What was the last Saturday in Minnesota and like literally got to the ball ballpark in like the third inning and then pitched the seventh or the eighth. <laughs> and then the next day pitched again. And Terry Francona was like, I think this guy's going to be really good for us, which <laughs> my alarm went off and was like, okay, 2019 closer. There it is. But um, but just just having a couple guys who you it's a small sample size, but you you develop just a little bit of trust can create some restore so much order to the bullpen that's just been in, in, in flux. I mean, yeah, that's what Andrew Miller was supposed to do when he came back from the DL the first time. He was supposed to just settle things down enough that everyone figuratively or physically or however this ends up playing out, take a deep breath. Uh, and allow everyone just to sort of hit the reset button um, because for a while there, I mean, it felt like that place was on fire and they're just sitting there uh, with a, a squirt gun trying to put it out. And it, it did not work. Uh, and you're seeing, as you said, just one guy, one guy steps up and gives you some outs. It at least allows you to feel, and, and this is probably not even rightfully so, but at least it feels like you have somebody that you can give the ball to and give you some outs because there for a while. Um, I, and I'm, I'm sure Tito, you know, despite what he says publicly, he is not one to sort of rip into his players unless he really feels it's necessary. Uh, despite whatever he was saying to us, you know, internally, he had to be questioning what the hell he was going to do. And I think it played out in his actions. And I would argue Zach that, you know, you said that you have to, or this is going to enable them to stay away uh, or at least try to stay away from from making their starters go out there and throw 115 pitches every single night. Um, and maybe this, that this helps in that regard. I, I would argue this, that needs to even continue even more. So you need to back off of those guys legitimately, because I think um, they've been lucky to sort of get through this stretch, not only with the, the division lead that they have, but you don't have guys down there yet with their arms completely dragging on the ground. And I'm not sure how much longer you can go and, and, and force those guys to, 
to be as, as truthful and brutally honest as they can be about their bodies and when they're tired and when they need to come out of the game. You're asking way too much from those guys. And I just can't see that working out well when you get to August and September. So you have to take advantage of the division that you play in. No one, and I we say this every time people roll their eyes, you know, no one is saying that winning the division is the goal, but it is going to help you at least try to get to your goal, which is winning a championship. And if that's one of your advantages, the fact that you have this, this big lead because the rest of your division has played so poorly, take advantage of it, run those guys out there and stop from, from running these starters into the, the ground literally um, and, and having Cody Allen throw four or five out saves. It, it's not working. You can see even with him, you know, he, he said he had appreciated the extra time that he got to pitch because he felt like it kind of helped him find his, his knuckle curveball here recently. We're already at a point where he's done as many multi-inning appearances as he essentially did all of last year. That that's ridiculous to be at, in in the middle of June and to be asking him to do that. I, I, you have to continue to see who you can trust because there is going to be a time in July that you're going to make some trades, and then at that point you're going to have to start making some decisions on who you want to keep around and who's going to get sent away. Um, and you want to have at least a little bit better understanding of who those guys are going to be, so that you know that. You know, if, if Tyler Olson is just pitching against lefties, is he still good at doing that? Or is this somebody that was just lighting in a bottle last year, was really good, and now you have to move on from? These are important things that you have to know. And the only way you're really going to be able to know is by running those guys out there, even if it creates some painful situations and you lose some games that you didn't really want to. All right. I have a couple random things related to that. Number one, this division is so much worse than I even anticipated. Um, the Twins, like, I, I keep waiting for them to turn it on, turn it around, and I don't know if Irvin Santana will make a big difference. I don't know if Joe Maurer will make a big difference. I, 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 like, if you're them and you keep playing this way, do you consider selling? I mean, they sold it last year's deadline, and then they end up surprising their, themselves right. and finishing and winning the wild card, or you're winning a wild card slot. How many games back? The better question is, how many games back would you need to be before you would consider that? Right, because I mean, they sure as hell aren't winning a wild card. You wouldn't think so, based on the way things have played out so far. I mean, I, I think that. It, it, it would obviously depend. You're not doing a complete fire sale there because they have some pieces there that you're holding on to for the long haul. But, I mean, I'm assuming you're referring to guys like a, a Brian Dozier, for instance. Are, are, right. Would you move him? I mean, I would consider it if I'm – if this continues and in, you get to July and I am eight, nine, ten games back of in the Indians who haven't even really established themselves or play the way they're capable of, I would think pretty long and hard about that. And then if I'm the Indians, I mean, it, they have their motivation every day anyway. But I'm trying to do everything I can to distance myself to force the Twins no. to, to give up on this year. Um, just random thoughts here. Uh, number two, kudos to Ron Gardenhire, who has the Tigers playing far better than I ever expected. Um, I thought they were destined for 95-plus losses. They are hanging around. Um and they still have some veterans, but that that lineup is ugly, and that bullpen is ugly, and and it seems like they've had some of those guys like Buck Farmer and Drew Verhagen, and 
Like, don't they know that those guys aren't legitimate big leaguers by now? I feel like we the Indians have beat up on those guys for like five, six years now. Yeah, um, I mean, but, but in their position, those are sure. cheap guys that give them innings and fill a spot. Until somebody better comes along. I mean, I understand. I guess what I'm just doing. amazed. I guess I'm just amazed that that team is not closer to where the Royals and the White Sox are. Yeah, I, I think it's. I think they were in such a difficult spot though with those huge contracts, you know, and moving Verlander. Okay, that cleared up some of that. But then you look at the Miggy Cabrera situation, um, and hey, he's still. That's not anywhere close to what he used to be, but still is or still can be a dangerous hitter. But I mean, I think they were kind of stuck in this position where they couldn't they couldn't flip like the White Sox and Royals could. They they didn't have the right assets to do that. So they're really in a weird spot. And you're right. I mean, for them to be playing as well as they have, which is not great, but to even look like a major league team and to put up a fight. I mean, we've seen them last two times the Indians have been to Detroit. There was those were some hard fought wins that the the Tigers pulled out, and mm-hmm. that was not something I would have expected that club to do at the beginning of the year. Considering the the way their roster was put together, I thought there'd be veterans on that team that didn't give a crap about anything, and that the young players weren't going to be at least a little feisty. I I would much rather play, and this is amazing to me because I thought the White Sox were supposed to be what the Tigers are doing. Yeah, if I were the Indians, I would much rather play the White Sox or the Royals or, or right now the Twins as opposed to the Tigers who like seemingly make it more difficult than it needs to be on a nightly basis. No doubt. And number three, again, I don't want to make it sound like I'm, I'm whining about having to go to Detroit or on any of these trips. It's a great job. Traveling is fun. It's We watch baseball for a living. We're blessed. Yada, yada, yada. Um, Slow's Barbecue, the little tip here for anyone making the trip. There were a ton of Indians fans out in Detroit over the weekend. Slow's Barbecue. Probably talked about it before. It's in Corktown, about a mile from Comerica Park. It's right down the street from where the old Tiger Stadium used to be. It is just the great. It's the best barbecue outside of Kansas City, I think, in the world. We stop there every time we make that trip. Uh, Jordan Bastion and I ate there Friday afternoon. Literally, we drove straight there. And it was embarrassing how much I ate. Uh, I did not eat dinner that night. Uh, I did not eat breakfast the next morning. I mean, at that it, point, it's why even try to compare the food that you're going to eat to the food you already ate. Yeah. Ryan Lewis of the Akron Beacon Journal orders more food than he can even fit on one plate, takes it all with him, and will even eat it after it's been in the car, been out, non-refrigerated. I mean, this food has to be just crawling with all sorts of germs now that it has been left out as long there's like entire bacteria colonies growing on this food he doesn't even care it tastes so good he demolishes it so that'll well, tell you it's a full slab of ribs and so he eats half the slab while sitting at the restaurant and then he carries around the other half the slab like <laughs> for the rest like of the trip <laughs> yeah he like tucks it under his under his arm like it's a football and just like carries it around and stiff arms anyone who tries to take it. Uh, it is legitimately that good. I mean, the 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 drive to Detroit's not even that far anyhow. There, if if I just wanted a great dinner and I had nothing to do for the entire day, hell, I'll drive all the way to Detroit just to go eat there, and I would drive all the way back. It is that. Yeah. 
Uh, so that I just, you know, I didn't want to come off as, oh, poor me, I had to go to Detroit. No, I mean, it's, there are definitely good things about that trip. There are good things about every trip. There are annoying things about every trip. Um, but it's just, it's weird too, the way the schedule's set up, you know, the third and final trip to Detroit this year is right before the trade deadline. And so you knock out all three in the first half or first segment of the season. And then like, we don't go to Toronto or Tampa or until September and we don't go to Boston till late August. It's, it's, it's weird. The schedule. We yeah, haven't even I, been to I Kansas city yet. Yeah. I, I, I hate that. I, I'm not a fan of interleague play. I mean, it was fun at first and to kind of see some cool matchups was, was fun. I would much rather teams in the American League, teams in the National League, and I know you can't do this now because they have the equal number of teams, so there's always that one interleague series that needs to happen. But if you could just wipe interleague play out completely or or, or f- find maybe just that one rival that you play or, or something, I would much rather see the Yankees come to progressive field a second time uh, oh, yeah. or the Red Sox or the Angels or – Really, any just any of the teams that you only see at their place and at your place, and that's it. I would much rather find ways to to get back to the the way this used to go, where you could actually have those teams come in for more than one trip. Because not only does it stink if it's like if it happens in April, I and mean, like the Yankees have come in in April or May, and the weather's crappy, and like fans don't get to enjoy that as much as if it were a June, July, August series. Uh, against a really big opponent. And if the, the timing's bad um, or your team's just not playing well at that particular time, it's also why I don't put any stock into this team did this against this team in the right. regular season. Well, who gives a shit? They played in May and then in July, and the two teams have completely changed since then. And all by the way, we're talking about seven friggin' games. I mean, mm-hmm. what are you going to learn in a regular season? It wasn't like ace against ace. Two against two, best lineup against best line. That's not how this works. Well, that's so why it's so stupid. Everyone who over the offseason was like, the Indians are nowhere near the Astros or the Yankees, and those teams got better and they went farther in the playoffs. And those are the same people who also are like, the Indians can't beat good teams. They just beat up on the crappy teams in their division. It's like, okay, well, the Indians went five and one against the Astros last year. So they were better than the Astros. They just didn't get to face them in October. Like, like I mean, there's. Yeah, I'm with you. And and I hate I hate the unbalanced schedule because I think people get so bored of like the White Sox have been rebuilding since like 1964 and we've just been stuck watching the same like I'm so sick of watching Tim Anderson and like Omar Narvaez and who do they like do they still have Zach Putnam and Jake Patrick like it's the same crappy players that we see 19 <laughs> times a year. It's so boring. I would just like I, to introduce I'm with you. I, I, I want to see. Yeah. Just a little newness. Just to break up the monotony would be yeah. nice. But we're stuck with this. Uh, you know what? <clears throat> it's uh, not quite the same, but it's like NBA Finals. Imagine not being a fan of the Cavs or the Warriors. And then every year, the past four years, it's been that same matchup. And of course, people in San Francisco and in Oakland, love it. People in Cleveland love it. Outside of the market, are they bored of it? Would they have rather seen Cavs Rockets instead of Cavs Warriors, even if the outcome would have been the same and the Rockets would have swept the Cavs? And I wonder about those sorts of things. But there's been no shortage of 
basketball slash Cavs talk in some of our uh, managerial meetings here over the past few weeks. And unfortunately that comes to an end, but now that the, it's just going to shift from everything we hear outside, like all of these sports talk radio topics about LeBron James, where he's going to end up. That's just all going to be in the managerial office now with Tito asking us what we're hearing about LeBron, where he's going, because he's just a biggest LeBron fan as anybody. So, yeah, this, this is, it's been going on for a while. I mean, Terry Francona loves, he loves other sports. He likes, he likes getting to a game early, whether it's, it's football or basketball and watching guys warm up and practice. And he marvels at their size and their physicality. And um, I remember he was, he went to a Browns game last year just to, to go and watch them warm up and just like stretch and stuff. And he couldn't believe that this 350 pound lineman was a, was flexible enough to like stand on one leg and stretch his other leg, like things like that. And it, it, it's cool because, you know, this is a guy who played in the major leagues for a decade and had tons of surgeries and like has, has been through the ringer physically. And he loves going to Arizona games and watching Deandre Ayton like just terrorize the opposition. And, and it, it's, it's cool, and, and and he's got Cavs tickets. He's got U of A tickets, and um, he obviously was at the Cavs game the other night. What night was it? Wednesday night, uh, when all the pretty much the whole team was there, and he got there early, and he just sat in his seat. And you know, you, you can watch him. He had this bright turquoise shirt on. You could see him anywhere in the arena, and it was <laughs> the whole I broadcast. Looked over, you could see him anytime they were yeah. down by the Cavs bench. You could see him like three, four rows back. And it was fun because I, you know, he is. He's fascinated by LeBron, but he's more so fascinated by just athletes. And so I looked over toward him a few times just to see if he had reactions to things. And he's sitting there with his arms folded, like, like he's not impressed. But you know deep down, like, he's like, how the hell did LeBron just throw it off the backboard and then dunk it? Um, and it's cool because he's been, you know, it, it's every manager is different. And we used to get this with Manny Acta maybe like once a week or two where you'd finish your baseball questions takes five to 10 minutes or so. And then, and then Manny would just sit and tell stories and, and, and Tito's done the same periodically throughout the years, but it seems the last few weeks, it's been like 20 to 30 minutes off the record about the Cavs, him asking questions about the matchups, how the refs can get involved. But the, when we were in Minneapolis the, of the day before or no, the day of game one, of the finals ironically he's asking about like you know the the Warriors were a 12-point favorite he's kind of asking why and what goes into that and someone mentioned I think Andre not mentioned the refs he was asking if the refs had been announced and, and Francona didn't know about this and he was like is that a big deal is that have sway in in what the gambling line is and and does it do people think that that impacts the actual game itself. Cause you, you always see tweets about like, Oh, Scott Callahan is the Cavs are 18 and one when he's, he's refing or stuff like that. So the cool thing was Joe Noga was on the trip for cleveland.com and he is a local uh, referee and knows every NBA referee who's good, who's bad. And it was like, he basically held like a clinic and this lasted like a half hour, 45 minutes. And Terry Francona is, learning so much about the referees and was so interested in this. And it has turned into this thing now where every single day there is a lengthy discussion about the Cavs previewing that game's night, that, that night's game, recapping what happened the night before. And so they obviously lost 
game four the other day when we were in Detroit Friday. And with, without a doubt, Saturday, first question he has is, all right, where's LeBron going? And then it's like, <laughs> it's like a 30 minute discussion. Just everyone give their opinions and let's go through the options here. And it, it's, it's been cool because it, it's cool to see people in one sport really invested in another and, and wanting to learn more about it. And, you know, we see like Lindor wears Cavs jerseys all the time and, um, you know, the Cavs Twitter shouts out the Indians and, and all, we see all that. And a lot of that is, I'm not saying Lindor doesn't care if the Cavs win or lose, but like, you know, you want to support your city and, and you're, you're doing things for the camera, stuff like that. But in this case, like Terry Francona is legitimately compelled by LeBron and the yeah. Cavs and the NBA. And it, it's it's pretty cool to see. It's it's like almost like humbling in a way. Yeah, it, it the conversations are cool because you get to a point where you almost just forget that he is managing a professional baseball team. Um, yeah. I remember in spring training, he was asking, this might've been right after they made their, yeah, this would have been after they made their, their changes, a lot of their trades, the Cavs and Tito, this might've been the time right before the uh, Ty Lue had his health scare and had stepped away. But we were just talking about the way he coaches the team and some of his in-game decisions and I had said something somewhat critical of, of Lou to Tito as I was explaining just my thought on it because he had legitimately asked. And we were talking about it. And as I'm in the middle of critiquing Ty Lou, I, must, I, I thought to myself, Tito must think, like, who is this idiot? Because <laughs> just for a minute I had forgotten he's doing the exact same thing for the Indians that Ty Lou is doing for the Cavs. Um, and we were just having a conversation, like two guys just chilling, watching a game at a bar, whatever. And as I got like halfway through my point, I realized, like, why am I, why am I critiquing one guy, one coach to another manager? And what must he be thinking of me in this moment as I'm doing that? But it does kind of speak to how cool some of those conversations are. And I appreciate um, that we get to do that with Tito, that he kind of lets his guard down enough and trusts us enough to have those conversations with us and of course we're not going to share intimate details but he certainly has no problem with us kind of explaining his uh, appreciation and love of LeBron the type of player that that he has been and continues to be um, and, and I always appreciate those those conversations um, if and sometimes it, it doesn't always you know a lot of times some off the record stuff can lead to some good background information uh, to have on the sport that we cover and then there's other times where it's just hey just shooting the shit and it's actually just a really cool conversation um and i and i love uh i love when tito's able to kind of do that a little bit yeah and i, I it makes me think back to 2016 and that summer just because the, the Cavs obviously won the, the title and the indians front office people in in the in, in the building there went and watched the parade from from up top at the, at the ballpark and you know i i always wondered was there a little bit of envy there that the Cavs were the team to do it that they were the team that got the quote-unquote 1.3 million people to downtown yes for the yes parade. absolutely and I would say that it's a that it's wrong and it's bad if they don't feel that way they should they should feel that compelled and almost that jealous when that happens they should want it to be them yes but I think there's more it was more motivating than jealousy that's fair and I think yeah, it, especially from Tito, because it was he always says too, like 
he he's embraced the city. It's crazy to think that this is year six. Only two more years until he hits the the length of time he was in Boston. And I mean, obviously he won the two World Series there. That will be you know he goes into the Hall of Fame. He's probably going in with a Red Sox cap, but he has immersed himself in this city as a big part of it, a part of the fabric, the sports fabric of this town. And it's, it's a sports town. So it's, it is nice to see. And it's, I don't know, it's kind of refreshing just to see someone that invested in, in what the other sports teams are doing and, and just athletes in general. I mean, he's, like I said, it it would be cool. It's cool to watch him watch sports, which is, is kind of a weird way to think about it. Yeah. I mean, it, it goes the other way too. When the Cavs were, you know, in the suites during, Game mm-hmm. seven of the World Series and LeBron flexing his muscle. That's almost as iconic as Raja's point to the sky rounding the bases. Sure. Um, and just it was all part of making that moment really special for Cleveland fans. And I think it, it does help when and, and I think most fans are smart enough to realize, you know, not everyone's from the same place. Not everyone grew up rooting for the same teams. And there are people on the Indians right now that didn't grow up rooting for the Indians. Probably all of them. Um but it's still, I think it's pretty cool when you get that crossover. You know, it's like a television show. You, you get that crossover event, right? You get to see characters from one show you like on a different show interacting together. It's kind of weird. It's kind of cool. And I think that's Those sort are never of, good, uh, though, are they? Uh, occasionally, they're, they're all right. Isn't there like a Family Guy Simpsons one? Was there? I don't know. I didn't I watch like it. Like Jetsons, Flintstones back in the day? Yeah, they, of course. Who could forget? Yes. Or just recently, I watched uh, the Supernatural crossover on Scooby-Doo. They were actually made into a cartoon, and that was actually kind of cool. But, you know, you don't like television shows and movies and actors and things that aren't real. I watch TV shows. I don't watch movies. (laughs) Uh, I'd like to give a shout-out to all of the places you can listen to this podcast. Are you ready, Zach? I have the complete total list. Okay. You can subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts on Overcast, on Pocket Cast, on Radio Public, Breaker, CastBox, Podbean, and of course, Anchor. And a few more to come, by the way, too. By the so way. which one of those was made up? Podbean? <laughs> Every week. Damn it, I really missed an opportunity. We could have done the which one of us is lying thing. What about Just Audio Wizard? Audio Wizard. I'm about to go upload it to that as soon as we end this podcast. What about Sound Maven? <laughs> That's where do you think I listen to all my podcasts at? Um, do you want to do a random Indian of the day? Uh, yeah, let's do one real quick. All right. Well, real quick means that I've got to find one. Um, so, Holbert who Cabrera. Was, who was last week's? David Segee? Uh, David Segee, yes. Kane Davis. Jason Davis. You can't just now, – now I can't pick those people. <laughs> all right. So this person, well, I don't know if this is a good one. Yeah, okay. This person played for the Indians for parts of three seasons. This is from our favorite uh, tenure of Indians baseball. He ended up hitting 26 home runs with the Tribe. From, well, how did they acquire him? Let's see. 26 oh, they just signed, over three they signed years. Him to, 
they signed him as a free agent. He was previously with Baltimore. And then he left the Indians and joined the Yankees, but then left the Yankees and joined the Indians and then rejoined the Yankees again. What the hell? What? Uh... Played for the Indians from 01 to 03. 01 to 03. Signed as a free agent, came from the Orioles, then went to the Yankees and hit 26 home runs. Why am I... I have no idea. You stumped okay, me. Next clue. His real first name is Gustavo. Gustavo? I... That's not going to help you at all. No. Um, holy shit. His career war is negative 3.3. Wow. Negative wow. 3.3. What was his best war season? It's hard to say because he bounced around so much. Uh, but his he did have a good stretch with the Indians in 2002 with a 901 OPS in 51 games. Uh, is it Kareem Garcia? Wow. Good call. Gustavo Kareem Garcia. Yeah, I don't know why you thought Gustavo was going to help me, but thanks, man. My next clue is that Pedro Martinez made him famous. Uh. Kareem Garcia. All right. That was a hell of a finish he had to that year, by the way. What did he hit, like 20 home runs in 50 games or something like that? Yeah, 16 homers in 51 games. 52 RBIs. Yeah, RBIs, man. It was all about the RBIs. That's why they bet on him big. And, you know, that didn't end up working out. But, all right, well, thanks for that. Thank you for subscribing to the podcast on all of the places you can. Thank you for following us on Twitter at TJ Zuppi, at Zach Meisel. And thank you for subscribing to The Athletic, The Athletic Cleveland. And you can find all of our tribe stuff at theathletic.com slash Indians. Any parting words for our listeners this week? A uh, big week on The Athletic. Uh, a lot of Father's Day stuff. Mm-hmm. A lot of uh, make sure you have some tissues handy. Um TJ, finally, are you you running your story about that you've been holding for months about <laughs> new dad? Maybe, maybe that'll happen. Does it depend you who gets to wait down this week? <laughs> <laughs> it's it's just like all of, all of these things, you know. It's just a cliffhanger. You have to wait and see if it happens. All right, have a good week, everybody. We'll catch up with you at some point soon. This is the Selby is Godcast. We're out. <laughs>